Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning, Sojourn Church. My name is Matt Boyd, and I'm the lead pastor here, and we are so glad that you have chosen to join us on this Sunday morning. If you're with us in person, it is so good to be back together. I know during the pandemic and coronavirus, it has been really, really challenging, but I'm always reminded that part of what it means to be a church is the assembly of God's people together. Now, if you're not with us and you're joining us online, we're also thankful you are joining us online. And what can we say other than we miss you? And we long for the day and we're getting closer. I think we're inching there each week where we can all be together on a regular basis and, and maybe not get rid of online altogether, but kind of just leave it in the background a little bit. Sojourn Church, I want to go ahead and invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. If you're not familiar with the Bible, there's the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the New Testament. If you find that, the first book is Matthew. We'll be in chapter 7, and we'll pick up in verses 7 through 11 in just a few minutes. So Matthew 7, 7 through 11. A couple months ago, we went through the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus really gave us this model for what it should look like when we pray. It's the most known prayer of all time. And Jesus kind of gave us this template. So if you struggle with prayer, go back and listen to those sermons. I think we took six weeks to go through the Lord's Prayer. And here's this template that Jesus has provided for us and how it is that we are to pray. A couple of notes on prayer on the front end. First, I try to be transparent with you guys. And I always want to be transparent as your pastor. I feel like prayer is one area that I've always struggled as far as when you kind of look at spiritual practices and and following the ways of Jesus, prayer has been one area I just feel like it's always been a challenge for me. No matter how many classes or courses I've taken, no matter how many times I've taught or preached on prayer, I still feel like it is an ongoing struggle for me. I feel I'm not alone in that. In our passage today, what it's going to do, it's going to force us or kind of push us to think about prayer again. And so Jesus already modeled prayer just a few weeks ago, and now he's going to come and give us prayer again in chapter seven. And if you're anything like me, Even since the last few weeks when we looked at prayer, you may have found yourself asking these types of questions. Does prayer really make a difference? Does it it do any good? Does prayer change the course of history? Does God actually answer a prayer that might change the course of history? And don't even think about just your life. Just think about big things when maybe there's wars happening or when there's pandemics happening. Does prayer actually kind of move and change the heart of God that it changes the course of history? Does persistent prayer pay off? Or should we just kind of pray one time and if it doesn't happen, then I guess it wasn't meant to be? Or should we be persistent in our prayer? Is God sovereign? Or is there somehow our will is kind of somewhat imposed on God's will? Why does God answer some prayers and not answer other prayers? Does God primarily answer prayer for his own glory? Or does God answer prayer as a form of a relationship with him? So you may have found yourself asking some of those questions. Hopefully this morning what we'll be able to do is hopefully we'll be able to answer some of those questions with our passage. The least being whether God, the God of the cosmos and beyond, really cares about our prayers, really cares about our petitions when we come to him. Tom Wright helps us kind of bring this into focus when he says, but for the most of us, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is that we are not eager enough to ask for the right things. And the second note on the front end about prayer is prayer is something 
Part of it is because I do struggle with it and I feel I'm not alone in that, but I want, I want that to be something that we always are striving towards to improve as a church. Not because God's gonna look at us better or differently, but I was reminded again this week that the church is to be known as a house of prayer. So I want Sojourn to be known as a house of prayer. I want Sojourn to be known as a church of people that, man, if they seek the Lord, they seek the Lord on behalf of the city, they seek the Lord on behalf of our nation, they seek the Lord on behalf of our world. And so I want us to become known as a house of prayer. And so we've done prayer courses before. We have sermons on prayer. We've had prayer mornings. We've had midweek prayer. We've had prayer and worship nights. And so coming up in the summer months, I'm, I'm kind of working on calendaring things now. It's like last year, I felt like we couldn't do that. And finally, I felt like we're at a place we can at least do some, some calendaring and kind of some planning. And so we're going to have some um, intentional times of prayer. That might be early morning prayer. I know some of you love to get up early and others of you are like, please, I want to sleep. So we might do early morning prayer again. We might do midweek prayer. And, and then this summer, we have a number of interns who are going to be working with us. And so we're going to do a couple of prayer and worship nights that they'll help organize for us and help lead where we just come together, sing some songs of praise, and just seek the Lord together on behalf of our city. So be on the lookout for those and try your best to prioritize that so that you can be involved with that. Not just hear about it, but you can actually participate and what it is that God wants to show us as a church and what it is that God is doing here in our city. And speaking of prayer, let me pray for us on the front end. Always a good idea to pray when you're gonna have a sermon on prayer. Pray with me. God, we come to you this morning just thankful again that you've brought us through another week. Thankful again that we can come together as your church here in Northeast Portland. God, we ask that this morning that you would speak to our hearts and our lives. And if there's others who struggle with prayer like I do, God, as we look at kind of this petitionary prayer and what that means, God, that you would help us have a better understanding of what it looks like to seek, to knock, to ask. And God, that we would leave this morning looking more like you and that we would realize that you are our good, good father who loves us, who blesses us, and who wants good gifts for your children. God, I ask that we would grow in prayer as a church, that we would desire to seek you. God, that we'd be willing to put our plans on a whiteboard or a piece of paper and we'd be willing to erase it or throw it in the trash. And God, that your spirit would guide us and direct us into your plans for Sojourn Church. It's by your power and in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter seven, verses seven through 11. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Sounds easy enough. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Now, Jesus has already warned us about Pharisaic hypocrisy and Pharisaic prayers and this kind of pagan formalism where you're just going through the motions and just saying the right words when you pray. Jesus gave us a model for prayer, that template in chapter six. But now he's coming back to his disciples. He's coming back to us and he's actively encouraging us to pray by giving and telling us in our prayers to ask, to seek, to knock, and that he will give us his gracious promises. And so Jesus is actually inviting us in this morning to confidently come before him. I think, I think sometimes when I think about my struggle in prayer, it's that I don't feel worthy to come to Jesus in prayer. And in one sense, that's true. I'm not worthy, but Jesus is inviting us 
to come to him in prayer. He's not inviting us to come in, meet, but he's inviting us to come boldly into him and confidently. And he gives us these direct commands. He says, when you come to me, he says, ask for these things. He says to seek these things. He says to knock for these things. And so let's look back kind of verse by verse with just a little brief commentary on each of these verses, see what they mean. Verse seven says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. And so Jesus invites the disciples to come in. He says, come and ask. And so God says, come in with humility and awareness of your need. You know, when you go to ask someone for something, you're recognizing you need them. If you go to ask if you go to ask your teacher for something, you go to ask your parents for something, okay? Full disclosure, I know my parents tune in each week. So, hey, mom and dad, we're glad that you are an extension of sojourn on the East Coast. But, you know, the older I got as an adult, I found it harder to go and ask my parents for things. My parents are great. My parents love to give good things to their children. They love to give good gifts, but it is hard for me to go. And so there's been times that my parents have even offered something financially that might help us. And I, I kind of scratch my head. I go, no. Even if I need the help, because there's, there's kind of this level of pride, but there's this level that, that God's saying, come to me and ask, because you're actually recognizing that you have awareness that you need me, that you need something from me. And I think sometimes we try to operate as God, but God's saying, no, you can't operate as me. You need to come and ask me. And so this is the same way that he's inviting us to come to him this morning, that we should come on his terms, not our terms, in humility and awareness of our need. I think about my youngest son, Oliver. You guys all know Oliver. He's adorable. He's cute. But he has no problem if he sees his mom, Andrea Near, asking for her for a snack at all times of the day. It doesn't matter if it's 9 o'clock at night or if it's you know 11 a.m. in the morning. He will ask her for a snack all times of the day. And what, what does he do if he doesn't see her? He will seek her out. He'll say, Mom, where are you? Mom, I want a snack. And he goes around the house yelling for Mom, looking for her. And then if she's inaccessible, if Andrea is, maybe she's locked herself in her office and she's working on a portrait, or maybe she's interpreting, what's he going to do? Mom, are you in there? Mom, open the door. Mom, let me in. And so we see that Oliver is persistent. He seeks his mother out. He asks for her. He knocks if he can't find her, for, so she'll open the door. And we find here that all three of these verbs, ask, seek, and not, they are present imperatives, and they indicate this persistence with which we should make known our requests to God. In other words, really, Oliver is a great model for how it is that we are to go to the Lord in prayer, that we're going to go to the Lord confidently, just like he goes to his mother and says, Oliver knows that if he wants a snack, now sometimes he'll sneak in and grab it, but if he wants a snack, that mom's the person to go to to get it. Maybe dad as well. And he'll, so he'll ask. He's got no problem. He'll boldly ask. And if he can't find her, he'll boldly seek her. And if he finds that she's locked away, he'll boldly knock. And so we are to go to God in the same manner. We should seek the same freedom that my five-year-old has in seeking out his mom or dad. We should have that same confidence to go to the Lord with our request. Look at verse eight. It says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. And so we see that this idea of seeking, it connects one's prayer with the responsible action and putting the will of God. And we see this knocking, it, it kind of represents the perseverance that maybe you don't just go, you know, if you just ask and you're, okay, well, I didn't get it. And maybe that's what you should do at times, but this is telling us that this idea of asking and then you seek and then you knock. There's just this, this, this um, persistence and this perseverance and seeking God for what it is that you desire. And we find that there are these promises here that are expressed in these universal statements. It says, for everyone who asks, receives. 
And so maybe you don't have because you haven't asked. And he who seeks will find. So maybe you haven't, you haven't been seeking out what it is that you're looking for. And he says that him who knocks, it will be open. So let's be clear. Verses seven and eight, they aren't promises that everyone who asks for everything will be given. Okay, so hopefully we unpack that a little bit. Instead, it's addressing here these doubting disciples who need to be insured. And, 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 and this morning, we need to be assured that God loves you. Okay, so you know, I always like to address those who are Christians, but those who aren't Christians. This morning, maybe you're tuning in or maybe you're with us in person. And you, you know, in some ways, you may not know it. You might be seeking the Lord and what the Lord is telling you this morning that he indeed loves you and that you can trust him. And that we can trust that God has our best interest in mind as our creator and as our father. John 16, verses 23 through 24. Elliot read that for us at the beginning this morning. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until you now, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask that your joy may be full. So we see that ask and you receive it remind us that as apprentices of Jesus, what we commonly say as disciples of Jesus, but as apprentices of Jesus, that frequent answers to prayers will give us this great joy that as we see God answering those prayers, we see God actively at work in the world around us. Have you ever thought about that? When God does answer prayer, that that should bring us joy. That that means that God actually cares and that God is actively at work in the world around you. And that sometimes God cares about really your kind of minute details of your life when you see God answer something. This is one more reason that we are to actively, as a church, to seek the Lord on behalf of our church. Okay? You guys have heard this a lot. I'm going to keep kind of pounding this drum. We are in a rebuilding year. By rebuilding is trusting in Jesus that He's rebuilding this church and that he is building Sojourn Church. But I think in order to do so, the best posture we could do, we could strategize. We're going to do that some. We could read a number of books and we might do some of those things. And I think the number one thing that we need to do as a church is seek the Lord on behalf of Sojourn. That we need to seek the Lord and say, God, what is it you want to do with us? What is your will for your kingdom coming? Your will be done in Northeast Portland and Concordia in the Alberta Arts District in this kind of section of our city. We need to come together and seek the Lord on behalf of our city. Our city, is, is, it seems like it's in utter chaos, at least based on the news. Now, your, your street may not feel that way. Your block may not feel that way. But more and more, as you look around the city, but, you know, the, the houselessness is worse than it's ever been. There's, there's more trash all over our city than there's ever been. There's more vandalism than there's ever been. And so it just seems in many ways that a lot of people look at our city and say, man, is there hope for that city? And I confidently that there is hope. But our hope is going to start out by us seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, we need you to rain down in the city of Portland, and we need you to work in this place. Now, part of that answer to prayer is you. Part of that answer to prayer is me. Part of that answer to prayer is sojourn. And God's saying, I have placed you there. This is part of the answer to prayer. And so we want to seek the Lord. How does it? He wants us to go about that? We are to seek the Lord on behalf of our nation. Our nation seems like we're constantly each other's throats, and it's so politicized and ostracized and all these other sides that, that we need to seek the Lord. And that even as a church, not just Sojourn, but as the church in the United States, that we would come together and say, man, we, I feel like we really need to be. I was having this conversation this week with a professor at Multnomah University. There's really this kind of uncomfortable middle ground. And what I mean by that is that we, we shouldn't really fully identify with one political party or the other. It's okay if you're registered with a political party, but you should still not fully identify. You shouldn't fully identify with one extreme on this side or the other in different areas of life. But there's just like uncomfortable middle, which I feel like if you're practicing the ways of Jesus and reading scripture and seeking him, that this is a place where you will land. 
Yes, you may ultimately vote one way and you may ultimately have a conviction one way or the other, but that you ultimately in this kind of uncomfortable middle place as you seek the Lord. And then we come together and seek the Lord on behalf of our world. I saw just a heartbreaking, gut-riching article this week. You guys know that my, my family served overseas in India and just seeing how the coronavirus is breaking out there and that they're just having bodies upon bodies and they are just, they're burning them because they have nowhere to bury these bodies. And it's normal for burning for burials there, but just realizing that that's also the least rich country in the world. And so I think on one hand, it's just sad about the pandemic, but I just think about all these people who are going to be separated for eternity from God. And so we just need to seek the Lord on behalf of our world. And it's a small way. Yet it's a kingdom way that we get to participate in what God is doing here in our nation and around the globe as we watch him work through answering of these prayers. Now let's look at some possible responses, verse nine and 10. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? You see the disciples here, they are to be persistent in prayer. They're, they're gonna be confident and that their father God will provide for what it is they're praying according to his sovereign, gracious will. And so I think it's key that we focus on his will. If you go back to the Lord's prayer that I want what you want, not what I want. So you might be praying one thing and your own will for your life, but ultimately well, you want God's will because God's will is always gonna be the better will because God sees the full picture and we only kind of see what's right here in front of us. And we see that Jesus anchors his petition in God's goodness. And so to illustrate this point, Jesus gives us a really ridiculous analogy. As if your child asks you for a piece of bread. So once again, if Oliver comes up and says, Dad, I want a piece of bread and I hand him a stone, well, that'd be ridiculous. Now, if I hand him a stone, he actually bit the thing, breaks his teeth. So it costs all kinds of dental bills. So I wouldn't do that. That's unloving. He says, which one of you, if your child asks for a fish, would give him a snake? Okay, now I hate snakes. I have a fear of snakes. Some of you know that. So there's no way that I'd, one, I wouldn't even be able to pull that off if I wanted to. But how hateful would that be if your child asks you for this and then you, for a fish, you give him a snake? And so we see this father-son also includes daughters. So ladies, don't, you're not left out. It's this relationship is pressed into through service here by Jesus to focus on God's goodness. So what's Jesus' point to us? What is, what is he kind of driving home? He's saying if we, as humans, specifically parents who are sinful by nature, okay, and all of us are, if we are good enough to give good things to our children, how much more will God give good things to us? Now, why is this the case? Because God is both better than us and he's altogether good. And so us as humans and as parents, so those of you who have children who inherently are, are sinful, who are inherently evil apart from Christ, if we're able to give good things to our children, both Christians and non-Christians, then how much more will our Father in heaven give good gifts to his children, his creation? And then Jesus further reiterates this point in verse 11. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so while this is not always the case, but for the most part, parents have this innate impulse to give good gifts to their children, right? Like that's a natural thing. When we were in Florida at the end of February and went to Disney World, that place is expensive. But one of my kids wanted this little balloon that was way more than I've ever paid for a single balloon. And I wanted to give it for him. I was just like, man, this, there's this innate impulse. Like I want to give good things, good gifts to my children. But we also know that all parents are flawed. We all mess up. We're not perfect. Your parents weren't perfect. You won't be a perfect parent if you're not a parent yet. And if you are a parent, you're not a perfect parent because of sin. And all parents have been corrupted for all humanity since our first parents, Adam and Eve. But God is not that way. Romans 5, verses 12 through 14 says, Therefore, 
Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So even with this innate impulse for parents to do good for their children, because of the fall of sin, our innate impulse doesn't come anywhere near the goodness of God who desires to do good things for his children. A.W. Tozer reminds us, he says, genuine prayer is about a passion for God and an obsession with entering his presence. I don't know about you, but we need the presence of God. And that's why I think about these prayer and worship nights that, that those are our, our evenings, kind of markers in the life of our church. Where I feel like we can just press in and just seek the Lord and just soak in the presence of God. Now, I want us to look at a few common objections or a couple of common objections to why we give for prayerlessness. Why is it that we don't pray? The first objection for prayerlessness, prayerlessness is we feel that prayer is unnecessary. If we're honest, we feel that prayer is just unnecessary. Perhaps you found yourself looking around at your friends and your family and you see, man, their life seems to be going better than my life. They don't even follow Jesus and they're not praying. And so if they're getting along fine without prayer, why do I need to pray? It seems kind of like it's just unnecessary. And so the temptation that you might have is you think this proves that there's no reason for prayer, that prayer doesn't make any difference. It's just a bunch of wasted breath, just a waste of time. But in our thinking about this way, and stick with me here, hopefully I'll articulate this well. In our thinking about prayer this way, we need to distinguish between the gifts of God as our creator and his gifts as father. Or another way to say this is we need to distinguish between the creator gifts of God and the redemptive gifts of God. On the one hand, it is true that God provides certain gifts to all people, whether they follow him or not. Think about jobs, children, homes, vacations, the list goes on. And he provides those things whether people believe in him and pray and whether they don't believe in him and they don't pray. But we have to remember that God gives life and breath to every human being, whether they recognize it or not. God provides all those things whether people acknowledge him or not. This is known, and we've, we've talked about this a few times throughout this series, this is known as common grace. Common grace is this idea that's an expression of God's goodness in the lives of people who are undeserving in a sin-cursed world, that included all of us, and, and this includes a delay of God's wrath and a mitigation of our sin natures and natural events that lead to prosperity. And then common grace includes undeserved blessing that natural man receives from the hand of God. So we think about rain and sun, prosperity, health, happiness, natural ca capacities and gifts. These are all things that God has bestowed on all men, whether they recognize it, God, for those things or not. This is known as common grace. Okay, on the other hand, there's God's redemption gifts. These gifts are different. Not all people are saved. We know that. But those who call on his name, Romans 10, 13, says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is known as saving grace. So we have common grace and we have saving grace. Saving grace is the promise to those who believe, to those who call on the name of the Lord. Saving grace is the grace that empowers us to repent of our sin to have our ungodly ways change, and furthermore, it justifies all of our sin, assuring us of eternal life with God. And this grace, just like common grace, is unmerited. This is not a grace that you did anything to deserve. And so once again, this morning, if you don't know Jesus, we invite you to embrace. You have common grace, okay? You're alive this morning. You're breathing. You're watching this message. So you have common grace. You have a vehicle. You have a house. 
but we invite you to embrace this saving grace. And you might be watching this because Jesus is inviting you to embrace that. Nothing you did deserve it, but once, once you embrace this, it can never be taken away. Ephesians 2.8 describes saving grace for us. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And so both, both are really a gift of God, but specifically the saving grace are for those who recognize their need for Jesus, who recognize their sinner, and who embrace the salvation that only Jesus offers and the hope for this life and the next life. And saving grace results ultimately in our sanctification. That journey that we invite people on of following Jesus and learning what it means to follow him faithfully, it's this, this, this um, process of sanctification right? Because you might start here and then you kind of have your dips up and down, but you're being sanctified. You're, you're being made more and more like Jesus. And the longer you follow Jesus, the more you should reflect Jesus. Not because of what you're doing, but because of Jesus working in your life where you should be able to hold up a mirror. Man, I'm looking more like Jesus now than five years ago or last year that I'm growing and looking more like him. And it serves as our, our justification to make a way for glorification of Christ so that we may live in and for God in this life and for all of eternity. Now, the same applies to post-salvation blessings. In other words, by our Father in heaven, the good gifts that he bestows upon us even after we have been saved. So after we have common grace and then after we have saving grace, that any, any blessings we receive are coming as post-salvation gifts from our Father. And so it's not necessarily material blessing that he's referring to here in this passage, but spiritual blessing, that we're offered daily forgiveness now, you don't have to go to God daily to get forgiveness. In other words, to have uh, salvation. But there, we've talked about this uh, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, where we should go and say, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Like, we still need to go to the Lord and, and ask for forgiveness for those things to continue to have that relationship with God. He delivers us from evil. He gives us peace. He gives us an increase in our faith and trust of Him, and an increase of our hope and love, and ultimately the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit is the one who ultimately will change our hearts and our minds and change our behaviors. It's not nothing that we can do and come up with a list. And the second objection that we give for prayerlessness, the first is unnecessary. The second is, is unproductive. If you're finding yourself arguing that prayer is unnecessary because God gives to many people who don't ask him at all, and then prayer seems unproductive because he fails to give many to who, to who do ask him. And so you might be like, man, that person doesn't even pray. God's given him all this stuff. Their life looks great. So it seems unnecessary. Man, I spent all this time praying and seeking the Lord and fasting and it seems like he's not answering. So prayer just kind of seems unproductive. It seems just counterintuitive to what I should be doing with my time. The thinking goes something like this. I prayed to pass the exam and I failed it. Now, maybe you're better students than I am, but there was times that that was me. I prayed for healing of a sickness and it got worse. I prayed for peace, but the world seems to be in utter turmoil. I prayed for justice, but it seems injustice continues to prevail. Now, the best way to approach this is remembering that the promises of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, they're not unconditional promises. Otherwise, what I mean by that is it would turn Jesus into some kind of magician. And then you just say a magic phrase and maybe pray in this order or pray at these times in the day, and then it's always going to happen, whatever it is that you are praying for. Do you ever find yourself treating prayer uh, and God like, like Aladdin in the magic lamp? Like that God's the genie, and if you just rub the lamp a certain way, and that you have these three wishes, or you have these prayers that should be answered. And every time I rub the lamp that way, that God should come through. And we hear that, and we think, man, this is ridiculous. Like, we don't treat God as, as the genie in the lamp and that we're Aladdin. But how many of us functionally treat prayer this way? And then we get upset if that doesn't happen. Like, man, God, I went to you, 
And I, I prayed this way. I even did kind of the Catholic crossing just in case they have it right and I don't have it right. I got on my knees to do it. You know, I prayed it three times in the day. You know, I've set my watch for this reminder and did these things and then you didn't come through. But besides that, imagine if every prayer that you've ever prayed was answered. Okay, just think about the prayers that you've prayed over the course of your life. Sure, there's some things that you would say, man, I would I'd be rejoicing. Man, I lost a loved one who was sick. Man, if God had only answered that prayer, I mean, I would have gotten that promotion at work. God only answered that prayer. But there's other things that you can think of. You're like, man, if God had answered that prayer, how different would my life be right now? Man, if God answered that prayer, then this would have never happened. Man, if God answered that prayer, then, then this would have never happened. So we have to trust in God even within our prayers. And once again, ultimately we're praying for his will to be done. And he knows best, not our will to be done. And we're not to treat God like he's the genie in the lamp. Look back at the second half of verse 11. He says, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Think of it this way. Our heavenly father is good. And being good, he can only give good gifts to his children. And then also being wise, he can only give gifts which are good and which are not. In other words, our heavenly father would never give us something that's harmful. Our heavenly father would never give us something that's going to harm us, even if we ask for it repeatedly. And some of those prayers, you've asked for those things. You've asked for things that ultimately would harm you, even if you didn't realize it in the moment. And the reason he can't do that for the simple reason, as this passage tells us, he can only give good gifts to his children. And so if we ask for good things, God gives them. If we ask for not good things, either they're not good enough themselves, or maybe they're not good for us or for others, or directly or indirectly, immediately, ultimately, he will not give them. And truthfully, only God knows the difference. And so yes, our hearts, because we can only see what's right in front of us, we think, man, this is a good thing. If I only had this, this would, this would just make my life bliss. This would just solve all the things in my life. If I could just get married, if I could just get this job, if I could just get this promotion, if my kids would just do this, if we could just get rid of these things. And, and some of that stuff, you might be right and some of it you might be wrong. Ultimately, only God knows and God can see what is best. But God, we can be assured of this. He's only going to give us good gifts. He's not going to give us something that's harmful to us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote this. He said, I thank God that he is not prepared to do anything that I might chance to ask him. I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I asked and that he shut certain doors in my face. So what are the takeaways that we learn from this passage on prayer? I mean, think about it. Prayer sounds really simple when you read this opening verse. It just says, ask, seek, and knock, and your prayers will be answered. I mean, that sounds easy enough. We do that with everyone else in our life, so why not do it with God? But functionally, it doesn't seem to always work out that way, right? You might be thinking right now, but I have asked God. I have sought out the Lord, and I feel like I knocked, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. And so what does this mean? What are our takeaways? Just a couple of them here, a few of them. First, prayer presupposes knowledge. Prayer presupposes knowledge. If God only gives good gifts, and we have to remember they're in accordance with his will, we will have to seek him in order to discover his will. How do we do that? I think there's a couple ways we do that. One is reading and meditating on scripture. So we actually are, are meditating, reflecting on the words of God and what God has already promised us. You know, I hear someone say, well, God's just not speaking to me right now. I get that you don't sense the presence of the Lord and you don't sense him revealing things to you, but do you open your Bible and read it? I mean, God has already given us his words. He's already given us a full book. He says, here it is. I have spoken, now read. And so read and reflect on scripture. The other way is that we seek the Lord in prayer. This is the very thing that we're talking about. Now, I'm not doing this to say, hey, look at me, but as we've had this really nice weather, I know we're getting some rain moving in, which we actually need, but so we have this really nice weather. 
I'm like, like anyone. I get distracted in the morning. I wake up and my phone's there with alerts from people on the East Coast. And, you know, I might want to check social media or check my emails and, you know, all these different things. And so as it's been nice, what I'll do is I'll get up, I'll go to walk. I'm going to walk and just pray as I walk. And, and it just ends up getting, you know, this time with the Lord. For you, it might be something else that you need to do. Maybe you need to go on a hike this weekend. Go this afternoon and just get out in nature. Maybe you need to go down to the coast. Whatever that looks like, but seek the Lord in prayer. The second way that we are to do this is that, it says, um, is that prayer presupposes faith. It is one thing to know God's will. It's another thing to humble ourselves before him and express confidence that he is able and will cause us his will to be done. So there's an obvious element of faith that presupposes as we ask, as we seek, as we knock. And this faith that we know that God knows best and that God will ultimately know what is good for us and what's not good for us. Up to God in faith. And so if you think, man, I didn't get that promotion at work. Man, I, I, I didn't marry that one person who I thought I was going to marry. And I didn't pass this exam or this class or I didn't get into this school or I didn't get to go seek this degree or I, whatever it may be in your life. We have to ultimately trust that, and, and faith in God that God knows what is best. And so prayer presupposes faith in God and God knowing what those good things are for our lives. And the third and final thing is that prayer presupposes desire. We may know God's will and believe he can perform it and still not desire it. Prayer is the chief means by which God has ordained. Okay, The chief means, the primary means, the top means by which God has ordained to express our deepest desires. This is the reason why we ask. This is the reason why we seek. This is the reason why we knock. And these commands are present imperative and ascending scale to challenge our perseverance when we pray. Do you just ask God one time and then kind of throw your hands up, walk away? Do you just seek after the Lord one time and throw your hands up, walk away? Do you just persevere and knock and then just kind of walk away? He's inviting us to ask him, to seek him, to knock. And so before we ask, we must know what to ask for and whether it accords with the will of God. We must then believe that God can grant it and we want and we must genuinely want to receive it. Then the gracious promises of Jesus will come true. And so as we conclude this morning's sojourn, I believe that many of us affirm that God is good and that many of us affirm that God listens. But the many of us, we do not act as if God cares or listens. But in our text, Jesus shows us today that God is our Father who really, really cares and who wants to give us good gifts when we ask for them. And so hopefully you've seen this morning God's goodness in a new light. Not as something that we produce, but as something that we hope for, something we have faith in, and that God derives to give us his good, good gifts. And how much do we not have because we don't ask? You ever thought about that? We, we complain a lot as humans, okay? We complain about the weather, we complain about our spouse, we complain about our neighbors, we complain about our jobs, our coworkers, we complain about our city. But how much do we complain, and at times do you ever stop and realize, I haven't even asked God for this. I haven't even prayed that God would give me this or would, it would help restore this relationship or would help me get along with my neighbors. And so how much do we not have because we do not ask? Because we don't believe that God is actually good. And yet every day, what do we see? Every day we get to experience the goodness of God. Definitely in that common grace. You woke up this morning, you're breathing this morning. And if those of you who are in Christ, that saving grace. And then once again, for those who aren't in Christ, God is inviting you into that saving grace this morning. And so we get to experience God's goodness in our lives every single day. And we can go confidently to God and we can ask him of things. We can seek him for things. We can knock for things. And then we can ultimately trust that God knows what is best for us and he only wants to give us good, good gifts. And so if there's things in your life that God didn't give you, we can trust that it wasn't good for your life. It may have seemed like it was and you thought it was, but God ultimately knew what was best for you. 
and we can trust in that as we follow our Father and as we wanna look more and more like Jesus every single day. And so church, let me pray for us and then we'll respond this morning. God, you are our good, good Father. You only desire good gifts for your children. God, that's hard for us to see sometimes. God, it's hard for us to have that trust and that faith in you. Sure, we're gonna preach a message or we're gonna tell people that God is only good. God only wants good things for us and we can seek the Lord in prayer, but functionally, a lot of times we don't actually follow through on that in our lives. Practically, we don't always follow through with that in our lives. And so God, we ask that you would help us to seek you, help us to seek you as a church, help us to seek you as individuals. God, knowing that we can trust in you, our good, good Father. And God, for those who might be with us this morning who don't know you, God, who've experienced your common grace by the mere fact they're alive this morning, God, I pray that you would convict them, that you would draw them and invite them to embrace your saving grace this morning as well. God, as they can seek you, as they can repent of a life of a sinner, and that they can become a child of you. It's in your name and by your power we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.